Ladies and gentlemen, welcome again to another episode of the Sample Hour. Um, every month I try to have this guest on and so we can have a discussion. Uh, last month I, I didn't get a chance to get him on. It's, it's been too long, Charles. Mr. You might know him. He's the, he's the blogger and writer, uh, renaissance man. And I like to throw in this, too, for people I really like. Just all-around badass. Charles Hugh Smith. <laughs> He, uh, pick up his books, go to uptominds.com, read his blog. I read it every, I try to read it every day. And if not, I binge read it and I'll read about four posts in a row. Um, Charles, thanks for coming on the show. Hey, always a pleasure, Drew. Yeah, it's, uh, it's been great. Um, you know, we have these discussions every, every week and we talk about different things and we were, we were talking before we started recording, um, I had I had posted something on Twitter and Facebook, and I and I had tagged you on Facebook because I knew you would find it interesting. Um, there was a there's a post on a forum um, called AboveTopSecret.com, and I will put this because now I have my new website. I'll put this I'll put this link for 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 you listeners to read in the notes section of this website. Um, but basically, you know, in this post, um, a gentleman goes through and just talks about how. His wife or both him or both college educated. They had kids. They didn't have time to to really spend time with each other. They didn't have enough money because they couldn't afford to live. Even though they were making pretty decent wages, I'm not sure where they lived, but just based on their their expenses. Um, so what do they do? They they quit their they quit their normal jobs, lie on their job applications, get part time jobs, and apply for state subsidies. And now they live better off of the welfare system than they ever did trying to earn an honest living in the middle class. And uh, and Charles, if you want to add to this, we were, we were talking before about kind of this. I I said it was kind of a uh, an unconscious war in the middle class, and then you kind of you really started getting into it. So, um, yeah. Well, Drew, I think it raises uh, two uh, super critical and, and I think interesting uh, topics. One is the decline of the middle class, which, you know, a lot of people, you know, can argue about the definition, but the definition um, I've worked on many times and I think it's pretty commonsensical, you yeah. know, in other words, one person should be able to work in a household and generate enough money to have health care, um, maybe put a little aside for a vacation, um, and have a you know a few bucks to enrich the lives of their children you know uh, martial arts classes piano lessons whatever um, it's not that hard to define a middle class existence it, it, and you shouldn't be living off of debt you know in other words you shouldn't be have to take a take out debt to um, like take a small vacation you know or uh, enrich the lives of your children you know that kind of stuff should be able to be paid out of cash so that's one um, topic. And on a sort of economic, uh, wonky kind of uh, way of describing it is um, secular stagnation. That's what economists like Larry Summers and Ben Bernanke, they use that term, secular stagnation of the economy, to describe this sort of decline in, in, in general economic vitality. And, and that, of course, impacts the great middle class, you know, the the, the – the really low-income people have have had welfare for decades, right? Absolutely. And then the high the high end uh, business owners, doctors, lawyers, you know, um, high government officials, people who are really well paid, um, they're still doing fine, right? That the top ten percent is actually 
gained a little ground in the last decade. And um, it's the, everybody in the middle that's lost ground. So that's one topic. And then the second topic is the incentives that the system has created. And so uh, as I was saying to you before we started uh, recording that the, the, the guy that wrote that piece um, about he, he decided to just work 20 hours a week and then, and then live better off the subsidies – um, he was making a rational choice yeah. given the incentives in the system. And, you know, I'll, I'll just finish with a couple of sort of statistics. Um, I, you know, I live part-time in Hawaii and, and most of the time in California. Those are two um, high expense areas, right? They're also high welfare states. I mean, you get a lot of benefits in California and, and, uh, and Hawaii. So somebody did an analysis and a, and, a, and a household on welfare in Hawaii gets the equivalent of $74,000 of that's, income. That's crazy. Because they get a, um, uh, section eight is the, um, subsidized housing thing. So where housing is really expensive, like, um, the left and right coasts, then, you know, that can be worth like 1500, 1700 a month right there. Yeah. So, and then you got food stamps, seven or 800, then you get, um, all your health care is paid for. And um, so the third topic I'll bounce off of you is <laughs> the, the feelings that we get those of us who are still struggling to stay in the middle class by with our own labor, we don't get we we make um, too much to get all those subsidies, but we're not making enough. Like around you know one fifty to two hundred thousand, two hundred and fifty thousand a year that we're we can comfortably pay for all those middle class things like healthcare, higher education, things to enrich our children's lives. You know, an occasional vacation. You know, all that stuff. So we start feeling resentment. And I do because when I go to the pharmacy, I don't, my health care is paid for out of my own pocket totally. You know, it costs 15000 a year. And I don't have any health care. I don't have any medication or eye dental, eyewear. You know, none of that stuff's covered. It's all cash. So I'm going in and paying for like a, a medication I need to burn off my precancerous skin spots, right? Yeah. And that's like 380 bucks cash, right? And then the guy next to me, is you know it gets it for free through Medicaid, you know the the government uh, free uh, healthcare. So, and it's all like, well, wait a minute, you know, is that really fair if I'm barely above that guy, you know? And then you hear stories about you know like working class looking guys pulling out wads of hundreds and twenties at at Walmart, and then um, you know to pay for their cash items. Meanwhile, their food is they they're using a food stamp EBT card. You know, and so that you can game the system by working for cash and then you get to keep all your cash, pay no tax. And then you then you live in Section 8 housing, get EBT and all the other uh, subsidies. So is that fair? You know, who's yeah. looking at that? Yeah. So anyways, go go for it. Those are the three topics. Stagnation, you know, decline of the middle class and um, the incentives that are, are now being presented to us. Yeah, I mean, those are all pretty deep things, and, the, and it definitely spurs a lot of debate, and it definitely, you know, forces you to, 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 to put on your thinking cap and just look at it. And uh, I, th I think, you know, the stagnation part, I, I think, is, uh, you know, I, I, I kind of agree, like, where, where are the incentives? I mean, if, if you want to start a business now, and, and this kind of covers – all three things. If you want to start a business now, like especially this year, and you want to have a legit business and you're going to have employees, now you have to pay for Obamacare. And now you have to like, it's just like an added expense. So it makes it harder for like somebody my age to start a legitimate business. And then also, 
the credit like it's it's harder for me as an individual to to get to to get capital to start that business but then yeah. and then it goes i mean and it, and it kind of goes back to like the middle class like these these things so so t- for the stagnation like how do you get growth well you need more small businesses you need more entrepreneurs you need people that are going to look at different things and create solutions but our system isn't set up to to help those people our system is set up to help, you know, too big to fail banks and the very poor. But, you know, back to, you know, the middle class, our system is pushing people in the middle class through these incentives to do what this guy did. And it's 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 and at some point, like a lot of people like reading like the, the threads underneath how angry people were. I don't you know, I'm not going to do that personally, but I don't like a part of me like it is like unfair. But at the same time, like. I don't really blame this guy. I mean, I, I don't blame him. I mean, honestly, if I was him, I would try to do something different or I would have I would have probably planned better. I mean, I know personally I don't have kids because I don't think I'm I make pretty good money, but I don't think I'm financially in a position to afford children, at least not the lives I would want to give them or at least not provide the opportunities for them that I'd want to. So I, I think it's um it, it's a really complex thing to think about. I mean, and it. And it really, it's our, our our system. It's like the the what our system is designed. It, it it's like the design of our system. I mean, that's who. It, you know, if you want to be, if you if this this system is going to cater to those individuals. Yeah, and um, it, it's um, you uh, you raise another couple of of really good points here, which is um, there's been a lot of studies by you know think tanks and. Um, government agencies on on income, right? And and it turns out, like I've looked at a bunch of statistics, and it turns out it's kind of complicated uh, as we'd imagine. But some some of them only look at like earned income, right? Like the mm-hmm. the IRS and um and the Social Security system, they they report income that's um, earned income that you pay payroll tax on, right? Uh, uh, Social Security and 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 Medicare, which is seven point six five percent of your of your paycheck for a regular person that's, um, you know, an employee. And then those of us who are self-employed, we have to pay the employer side. So it's 15.3%. So that's, so as a result, um, I just read a statistic that's kind of interesting. It said two thirds of all of us who, you know, file tax returns, you know, on, on, we made some money, um, that two thirds of us pay more in payroll tax. And, and that's true of me too, because um, by the time I pay that 15.3% and then your regular what's left, you, you, you get a few deductions, you know, um, standard deductions and you can write off your uh, IRA and, you know, do a few things here and there. And so I pay more in, in payroll tax. And so it turns out two thirds of us do. So <laughs> that, that, that's interesting because it shows most of us aren't making enough to pay you know, above and beyond payroll. The other thing that was interesting was that um, a, one study came up and said, well, what's the difference between these people who are doing better in our economy and people who are not? And, and, and one guy discovered it's, it's having two um, full-time incomes in a household. I mean, you, it's just, you, you say it's brain dead obvious, but it turns out, you know, like a, a, a married couple, both of whom are working, are going to do better than any household that's got one income. You know, either a single parent or a single individual, you know, and, and, you know, we all know that marriage is, um, has been put off, you know, people are, are marrying later, 
Um, and there's reasons for that. And you, you raised one, one of which is economic. You know, people want to feel that they're, they're, they're got an econ, uh, stable financial situation before they um, get married and start having kids. And so naturally it gets being put off. And when I look back at, you know, I'm 61. So in our youth in the early 70s, when um, <laughs> drug use <laughs> and alcohol <laughs> consumption was really high and the economy was, there were a lot of jobs. Yeah, there was a lot of, it, inflation was pretty high, but anybody could go out and get a job. So we were, we got married at like 20, 21, 19, 22, 23, I think was the average age. We got married young and just kind of jumped into it, but it was because there was always jobs of some kind, you know, mostly, you know, not great jobs, but you could, you know, get a job and work your way up. And now it's hard to get any kind of job and the opportunities to get ahead are, are limited. You know, the competition is extreme. Yeah. Especially if you go and get that, that college degree and get yourself educated up and have that mortgage payment for a piece of paper that's pretty much worthless most of the time. And it's, yeah. uh, it, it's, it's a crazy time, I think. But at the same time, you know, you know, we did say about the guy that has the cash business. And I think that is a benefit of cash businesses. I mean, you, you can kind of game your income in which, I mean, you know, I'm not going to say cheat on your taxes directly, but, uh, you know, I, I, I just think that at the same time, you know, if you can have cash business, you have more money on hand and, and it's, you don't, I, I don't know, like I, I, you know, people might dislike the fact that I might say, you know, get a good tax, I mean, get a good tax guy for sure. I mean, you want to have a good tax guy. And I, and I just think, you know, the, the more, I mean, we've talked about having a cash business before and, and I think that, uh, you know, it, it, I, I think there's other things too. I think you know, the, the advent of the legalization, I think is going to help things in, um, of mar of ending pro marijuana prohibition in the state of Ohio is definitely going to help things. Is, is that, that on the, is that on the agenda? Uh, is that, is that going to be on the ballot? Charles, it's, it, it could be, but there's it's it's some crazy nonsense going on. So there's this one group, uh, they're called Responsible Ohioans, and they want to legalize everything. They just don't. They just want. They're on this side of more freedom. And then there's this like heavy financially backed pack called Responsible Ohio that came in effect after Responsible Ohioans, and they're creating a cartel. They're going to have ten growing facilities, which isn't going to fit the demand. And then there's like a bunch of like opportunity for entrepreneurship in the middle, but you can only get your supply from these 10 growing facilities. And, uh, so, and then, you know, and you could have medical and, and recreational. I mean, it is going to give people like you can have, like you can grow four plants and you can have, uh, you know, you can, you can have eight ounces on hand of personal use. But yeah, so I mean, it is coming. I mean, it's it's going to come to the Midwest because the Midwest needs more business. I mean, they, there's a demand for it, and and I think that's going to help out a lot of things. But at the same time, they're like, it's going to create 900 jobs. But whenever they focus on this job creation shit, it just it doesn't. It it's I mean these like the new job stats came out, and most of these jobs are garbage jobs. I mean, like creating part time minimum wage jobs doesn't help anybody. Like. You should you should create an environment for opportunity, so for people to build businesses. Yeah, no, uh, Drew, you've made a bunch of um, to me really critical points here, and just that short um, uh, commentary on the legalization. You mentioned that the group wants to create a cartel, and and 
this is what I see as crushing the middle class is everything is, is always set up to benefit basically corporate America or some sort of like government agency, you know? And so you think about it, setting up a cartel, the government loves it because then they're going to add a whole new layer of staff to like supervise and check on compliance and all this kind of stuff, right? So yeah. some bureaucrat gets going to actually going to have a bigger budget and then be able to, you know, hire his cronies and, you know, the, all the corruption that goes along with the state doing anything. And then, um, then the cartel is going to be able to price fix and, and cut out all the middlemen and small guys, right? And so when you said, like, how hard it is to start a business, part of it is not, you, it's hard to get the capital, although Kickstarter and stuff like that is, is, is definitely a step in the – in right the right direction, direction. Yeah. but it's also the regulatory environment has just gotten so oppressive. Like, I'll just give you a quick story. You know, like uh, in the old days, and maybe there's still guys like this in 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 Ohio. But if you were pretty handy with auto, with automobiles and and trucks, you know, repair, and um, you could kind of just do it on the side. You know, like on the weekend, your friends would bring their cars over, and you'd you know swap their brakes out or you know do something for them. And they'd pay you in cash and it was a good little business. Well, now, like if you live in like restricted subdivisions, you're not allowed to park cars in your driveway, you know, and you can't conduct any business at home. And, and some cities or towns have these restrictions too. Like, oh no, you need a legitimate business address. Well, guess what? That, cost, that, that rental space is 3000 a month, you know, because yeah. rents have just soared unless it's like a dead town and you can get something cheaper. And so – so then you immediately kill off that guy's business because it was only a business that maybe made 500 to 1000 a month and he can't afford to be like meet all these regulations and all that stuff and so that's that's become really oppressive you know um that's a key that's a key factor here is the is that the local government is basically um operating to cut out all competition against you know the established big players yeah, well, it's the uh, it's like the uh, the marriage of uh, I mean it's it's the oligarch, right? It's it's the marriage of of government and business in the sense of if if you I mean we've we've talked about it before. All a regulation is 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 some big player making it harder for other people to be successful in business. I mean it's it's not um, you know luckily here there's a lot of small towns where you can get a spot in the country and. I mean, I've I've plenty of times paid somebody under the table to do work on my car, gladly and happily. I've I've had the same car for five years, and I paid a thousand dollars for it. And the owner didn't think it would last me the year, and I think I'm on year six right now, and I'm it's still trucking. I've I've had some people put some good work into it because I've always looked for that type of person, like the person that works out of their business or they're trying to do work on the side. They don't want to do it full time. They don't necessarily want to get a shop. And uh, one of the guys actually got a shop because his demand was so high. So he naturally wow. grew a business from his garage and then he put it into a shop, which any which which should be the right steps to make. Like there, there's this, uh, you know, banks try to force you into, you know, everybody's like, well, get a bank loan and then you can you can get in this. And that's like, man, you're just buying debt. I mean, you're 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 getting a bunch of debt to start a business when. That's not a way to have a successful business. That's not gonna, that's not guaranteeing the sustainability of your business. 
And I, you know, and that's, that is a nice thing about the internet. Like, uh, and I'm kind of going all over the place, but it's going to make sense. Um, you know, like we do the sneaker business and we're about to build a website and people are like, have you ever thought about having a store? I like an actual walk-in store. And I'm, I'm just like, why? I don't need an actual store because yeah. I, my store can be my internet site. Like, I don't need, like, I can, I can go ship stuff. I don't, I don't, you know, I, I don't want to, I don't want to constrict myself to everybody in my town. Like I go to sneaker shows for a reason because there's people from all over that go to these trade shows and then we can have a website where people can just buy it. And I think, you know, the internet is something as well that is going to allow you to, um, to build your business. I mean, I, I just bought a washer and dryer from Craigslist. It's a family business and they, they deliver, your washer and dryer, they get old ones that don't work, fix them up, just kind of like what you talked about, probably using YouTube University, and then they delivered it. They gave me a 30-day warranty. I paid like 250 bucks, and they took it into my basement in my new house, and they, they hooked it up, and it was it. If I would have went to a store, it would have cost, that would have been the, the cost of half of a washing machine for a brand new device. So I think the internet is still giving people freedoms because I think it it bypasses all this government regulation. It, it can help you bypass um, a lot of a lot of hands that that don't need to be there, and it, and it's and it really is kind of like the wild wild west in the sense of, but it but it's not like the violent sense of the wild wild west, but in the sense of you know we're just here to make a living and and provide something for ourselves. Yeah, Drew, and I think that um, that's of critical importance. And I discussed um, some uh, some related issues about you know starting your own business and and leveraging the the internet um, with um, Gordon T. Long. And I know that you've you've listened to a couple of our programs. I do once I'll, a month with him as well. I listen to all of them, and I recommend everybody <laughs> listening should too because they're great conversations. <laughs> well, what what Gordon was talking about was. Um, like the internet is allowing us to have different models for um, getting um, income, and and um, let me just try to describe, uh, try to summarize what what he was talking about, which is you know the old model is like say you were going to have a sneaker business, okay, then you you have a shop, and then you got a ton of rent and utilities and all this, so you got a really high cost basis already. Then you hire somebody. And, it, you know, the average person that's never hired somebody, and I used to have big crews, you know, when I was a building contractor. And, um, I mean, our payroll, I mean, it would be like, you know, we'd need like 5000 a week. And this was when 5000 was worth like 10000 in today's money. And so, you know, you need to have like huge sums of money coming in just to cover your payroll because each guy you pay 15 bucks an hour costs you almost 15 an hour. Yeah. Because there's workers' comp, there's payroll tax, there's unemployment tax, there's federal unemployment tax, <clears throat> there's disability. All these all these expenses are built in to where you basically costing you thirty an hour to pay a guy fifteen. So if you go and hire an employee, man, you got you got major expenses, and those can eat you alive in no time at all. The, then the model that Gordon's talking about is more like what you're talking about with like your sneaker business. You're giving everybody a cut of the income. So it's like if the income isn't there, they don't they're not getting much. But if the as the income grows, everybody involved that that contributed is getting a slice of the business which they can then report as income. And so um, it's it's you know it's 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 so much more affordable and sustainable, you know, because it allows you to kind of get cooperate with people and it's fair, but it allows you to do so without having to borrow money or, or go raise a bunch of capital because the 
business can kind of grow organically out of the garage or, you know, wherever you got your, your inventory. Yeah, no, I absolutely. I think that's, that's, uh, I think that the sooner that we start preparing people to fend for themselves and be responsible for themselves, the sooner the economy can change. And I, and I a hundred percent agree. Like, you know, you want to give people ownership. Like if you, if the incentive is ownership, the more you produce, the more money you make, people are going to work hard. That's why I work in sales. I hated working, uh, you know, an, an hourly dollar an hour job and I would be the hardest working guy and I would make the same as the person that was doing nothing. Like I remember when I was a lifeguard, we had to do all these tasks and I would just get them done because I'm like, well, I'm here. I want to, I want the, I want work to pass the time more. And, uh, and people would just do nothing or, or fuck off. And I would, I would always be the one that's working. I would always be the one that was doing all this, but I wasn't making any more money. Like, yeah, I got promoted and I got an extra dollar an hour, but you know, in sales, you know, that was something I always liked because there was incentive for me to work harder. And it kind of goes back to it. And, and if you, if you, if a business model has incentive, like to, um, to, to, to have everybody kind of contribute or to collaborate, then it's going to work out because it's always a win-win. That makes yeah. sense. No, I think that's a brilliant, um, insight and it goes back to our original core topic of incentives because I'll just bring up the, the Pareto principle or it's called the Pareto distribution and it's the 80-20 rule, right? Like 20% of the salespeople make 80% of the sales. And, yeah. and it's phenomenal how um, accurate that is. Uh, you see it in nature, like uh, 20% of the, the plants in a garden produce 80% of the, the final, you know, usable vegetables and stuff like that. It's, it's, it's throughout nature. And so, and, um, and uh, so I'm not surprised that you would be one of the 20% that, <laughs> that generates 80% of the work. And so what we're really talking about is we now have entered a system where it, the the 20% who are generating more than average work and and productivity they're not being rewarded <clears throat> i mean there there are niches for those people but in general the, um then they're not which is how you get a system where the guy decides to just go work 20 hours a week for corporate america with no benefits and then just and then just suck off the um the social welfare system because it it's it's that's what's incentivized yeah yeah, there's not. Um, there's. It's. Uh, it's sometimes, honestly, Charles. I feel like it's. It's like just a, a, a ton of incompetence. It's. A, it's a ton of incompetence. Like, you know, just from from anywhere. Like, there's there. It, to me, it's. It's. You know, we talk about like how it's. It's. You know, there's less opportunities, but at the same time, it's. <clears throat> I don't. I. It, I have never struggled because I've always been willing to willing to go the extra mile. And, and when I think about things like, you know, if, 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 but I've also kind of always thought more creatively about, okay, if I need this and I do that, then I can do this. And I've always tried to plan and put things in my head. And, and I think, you know, a lot of people just, you know, and I think it's a lot of it has to do with education. Like people are just taught to just, you know, if you just show up, that's all you need to do. And I think, you know, people need to, to take ownership more. If people took ownership of themselves, you know, kind of what I was talking about, they would realize that there, there needs to be incentives in place for you to take ownership for yourself. So I think that's, that's really what, what we're trying to say, what I'm trying to say, because like you said, 
you're paying this money. You own a business. You own multiple businesses, and you have to pay fifteen grand out of pocket for healthcare when somebody who's not doing anything gets gets a free ride. And and I get that you know opportunities are different and everything else like that. But it's you know there. And I'm not saying we shouldn't have there. There shouldn't be something to help people. What I'm saying is is don't punish the people that are that are doing everything they can to make it. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, and Drew, I'll send you a link. Um, I, um, uh, saw that relates to the, the whole, um, uh, welfare being incentivized, um, that, that we're discussing. It was a story from Maine, you know, from the state of Maine and Maine apparently instituted a policy that anybody getting, um, EBT, you know, food stamps, um, or any kind of social welfare in Maine has to um, show up and and do some work. In other words, they either have to be 20 hours a week in in job training, or they have to volunteer, you know, and uh, doing some kind of work um, uh, that the state wants done. So um, they had. Um, so what happened when this was instituted? Well. The liberal progressives uh, were screaming and moaning and whining, and you know. And I'm not saying I'm not progressive. I'm, I feel like I'm very um, socially progressive, but I'm uh, financially conservative. You know, prudent. Yes. You know, like it, we should be, we should be able to tell what we're getting for our money, right, at yeah. all times. You know. So, anyways, uh, by saying the liberal progressives, it was sort of their their instinct was, oh, it's horrible. You know, you're taking you know, food away from, you know, you know, orphans and, and widows or something like that. But I mean, hey, 20 hours a week, are you kidding me? Like, I mean, the, the statistics are like the average American watches TV or, or surfs the web for like four or five hours a day. So what, <laughs> that's like, you know, what is that? Five times, that's 35 hours a week just goofing off. So yeah. you, people can't afford to find 20 hours a week if they're qualified for um, social welfare. So what happened was they had 12,500 people on, on, on the rolls before the policy, you know, two months into the policy that had dropped to 2,500. It turns out people had some other way to get by. They just didn't want to work the even a lousy 20 hours for their social benefits. And so this is what, uh, an example to me of what the system should be more like. In other words, yes, we have a social safety net, but you have to do something for the community around you for your social benefits. I mean, why is this considered so hardcore and, and radical or, or bad? I mean, yeah. it, it would just be incentivizing the system, right? Here's an idea since uh, to shift gears but stay on the same topic. So I just moved. Actually, Charles, I haven't talked to you in a little bit. So I moved into the city um, to kind of reduce rent but also, uh, you know, I it's closer commute to work, and and I, I don't know I, I don't I get tired of the yuppie burbs here in Ohio, and uh, so I, I move into the city like into a, a not as nice neighborhood, and uh, I I was I have this yard, and it's like the house that I lived in was abandoned, and I'm like you know what I'm gonna do because I don't have cows or pigs that eat that need grass for food, I'm just gonna turn my whole yard into a garden. So all like, right, yeah. So I'm gonna be doing that, and then. I found out from a friend that uh, you can get a public lot and for 10 bucks a year and actually th- because the city doesn't want to cut the grass and I don't I don't know how it is in everybody else's city but look into it if you want to grow food and you can turn it into a community garden. And so I, I have this lot so here's an option. 
if people are on social welfare, you have them go and, and learn to grow food on these lots, and then they can take ownership of something, but also it gives them a better relationship with their food. It's going to give them a better relationship, and especially a lot of people that are on welfare, like that are starving, that do need it, are in food deserts. So it's kind of a win-win. This is a radical idea, but... I mean, why not? Like, have have people take ownership of something. It gives them ownership. It gives them a better relationship with their food. It helps them get healthier. Um, so I, I think, you know, just, just anything. It doesn't even have to be boring-ass job training that is done by somebody that works for the government and doesn't probably bring a lot to the marketplace themselves. But, you know, have them get out and do something. You know, have people take ownership of their community. I think, you know... Something that recently, like I've kind of, I've been on this big kick, Charles, um, and it was all related to like the health kick, is that, you know, growing food is like a political act in a sense. Like growing food in your neighborhood or turning your, having a community garden is going to do something to bring community back, back into where you live. Absolutely. Growing food is a political act. And, um, you know, it's, it's so important that you mention community because, you know, that's the thing that's also destructive about social welfare. And I've written about this is that um, people get the idea because the check just comes from the government. Oh, that the money comes from the government. You know, the government, some, some sort of like distant um, abstraction, right? But mm-hmm. actually the government is funded by the community, the, the other people in your community who are working and paying taxes, that's who, who is paying your social welfare benefits. And so, you know, it's when you think about it, we've broken the bond that, that creates community, right? The yeah. community is you help other people, they help you. That's the fundamental definition, right, of a community. And so I think you're absolutely spot on. And there are, <clears throat> I have read programs like in really gutted, uh, depressed areas like Detroit, you know, that, that some uh, kind of, to me, very courageous people in the community are standing up and saying, yeah, let's, let's, um, let's get rid of our food desert by starting to grow our own food. Yeah. And, um, you know, I want to mention another program, which is now legal in California. And I, I'm not sure, I, I think there's about another 15 to 20 states that have legalized similar, um, you know, kind of statutes. I'm not sure about Ohio. It might be something you know about or can check on. Is that um, under pressure from you know the community people um, like that we're discussing? California has legalized home businesses up to about twenty thousand a year in income, and and this means that you can um, legally have an inspector come and look at your home kitchen. And as long as it's you know, as long as there's not you know rat carcasses or, you know, as long as you've sort of maintained some basic cleanliness, then you're legally able to go bake cookies or bread and then take it to the farmer's market and sell it. And you're not, you're not performing an illegal act like you were before this, you know? And so, um, that's, that's a very, uh, good trend, which, um, could, could be really good if it spreads across the entire nation because it would legalize small businesses. And I also, in that, on that same topic, you mentioned like the flexibility you have, you know, even if you decide to be completely legal in terms of reporting your income, which I do, because I don't, I don't need the stress of worrying about getting yeah. audited or whatever. Right. Absolutely. But, but, <clears throat> but it gives you flexibility because you get to write off, um, 50% of your meals and travel. Um, and you get to, um, expense like your auto 
You know, you're, if you're using your car or truck for, for business, you get to expense that off. You get to deduct half of your payroll taxes, uh, half of your health care expenses. You know, so there's, there's some flexibility there, you know, and, um, and I don't think anybody minds if, if, if it turns out that, gee, you know, you wrote off a, a, a long car trip that, you know, may or may not be precisely 100% business, but you did do some, you know, business. Nobody cares. That's perfectly legal. Yeah, and I don't think I mean if if I I wouldn't care. I mean I I hope I hope that more people write off things that that don't need to be written off because that, <laughs> I don't all that money's gonna go to is killing some innocent Middle Eastern <laughs> children by a drone strike or something. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I I actually think Ohio actually. Um, so oddly enough, I don't think we have any any regulations about having a business in your home. We have a bunch of home businesses. That's actually something that's exciting. Uh, a comic who we uh, just flew, who we just had did our last show in Toronto with, uh, Dean Del Rey, he had a guy on from Akron who used to be like the touring manager for uh, um, the uh, really popular band out of Akron. Um, I can't think of their names. But anyways, their pedals kept breaking for their guitars. And then he just kept working on pedals and he's like, why are these things so cheap? And then he just started this pedal business out of his home. And then he ended up having like all these employees that were just doing work in his home. And he finally had to get like a, a big warehouse. And now he has like this multi-million dollar business. And it's all from like pedals, like for, for guitar pedals. Uh, and, and, he, and it all started in the home. And, and one thing, too, that's cool about Ohio is I know in Columbus, we have a ton of farmer's markets. We have farmer's markets in almost every neighborhood and and you know something that I want to eventually do in the neighborhood I just moved into which is a more depressed neighborhood um is I would love to start a farmers market for this neighborhood and I, and I think you know farmers markets you know and I, and I heard and we we talked about it a little bit and you did a really good episode with Steve Patterson about it um like years ago probably back in 2010 um you know it's 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 really good for your community I mean it's it's a good way I mean, farmers markets are a place for people to meet that want to take action in their community and they want to make a difference in their community. And uh, so I, I think in Ohio and I, and I think anybody that that isn't in Ohio um, that just wants to participate in, you know, look into what what state rules you have. And even if you want to have an agorist business starting out and then take it to a legitimate business to where you do want to file for it. Um, cause you know, it, it's kind of weird, Charles. I think that there's a certain extent to where, um, and I think it is, I think it's, you know, you don't have to file a business if it's, if it's to a certain, if your income is only so much, but I, I think, I think just that whole structure needs to change. Like, I think that you should have a business, um, you should be able to start a business out of your house to where it is a cash business to where you don't have to report it. And then incentivize it to where it benefits you to report it. It benefits you to certain levels, report it, and then move it out of your house into another location. Because like the business model and structure that we have now, I don't think, I, I, I don't think, I know it doesn't promote sustainability. It doesn't promote people being financially responsible. It, it, it you know, the, the incentives of, you know, I, I feel like businesses grow too fast because they're trying to invest too much money in their business, so they pay less money in taxes. I and mean, there's a lot of things. And I think, you know, I, I don't know, Charles. I'm always on the side of freedom. I mean, I, I don't. I think we should just get rid of the whole system. But I'm a little bit crazy. 
So, uh, <laughs> I, well, I, th I think you can, um, what you're describing is something that, that could be stripped down and, and still function, you know, like protecting the community or and all yeah. the excuses or the reasons for having some regulation. Um, and there are legitimate reasons when it comes to food safety and that kind of thing, Absolutely. you know, but I think what you're describing is a system that is, is totally, um, possible with, yeah. with, with like the right kind of political f frame of mind. In other words, like you want to start a business, there should be a one stop government office and you go in and you, you, you fill out one form and you pay like 10 or 15 bucks for your annual license. Right. And then you're done. You're legal. And it took like 20 minutes, right? Yeah. That, that alone would, would, would make um, it so much easier instead of having, you know, f all these different agencies that you have to deal with. And then I think you're absolutely right. There's a lot that the local government can do to incentivize a, the community economy. And, and, and like that's the term I use for what we're talking about, which is the part of the economy that is not funded by the government, nor is it dominated by you know, corporate America or the financial sector. And so, you know, most of what we're talking about in, in the, the economy is it's all dominated by either it's funded by the government or totally controlled by the government or it's controlled by corporate America, you know, like fast food, one joint after another, you know, the whole, and that's your typical strip mall, right? One, one um, corporate America outlet after another. Um, or it's, it's controlled by the financial sector, meaning that you have to go borrow a ton of money to, to even get in there and compete. And then that puts you in a disadvantage already because you're paying 7% and corporate America is paying a half a percent. <laughs> I mean, there's no way we can compete when, no. when, if we have to borrow money. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. especially because we don't have the unlimited uh, money lending that uh, yeah. you talk about so much. I think, you know, but I, I think, you know, we always try to end uh, on a positive note, but I think, you know, there are lots of opportunities. And I think, you know, I, I think the share economy is good. Um, I think, you know, there's, you know, stuff that you and you and Gordon, Gordon have been talking about. I mean, they, they really are great. There, there's, I mean, you know, we always talk about a lot of stuff that's messed up. We try to end on a positive note, uh, even though I just said that. But what I'm what I'm trying to get at is, you know, there's opportunity out there. There's opportunity. It's just notif looking at it and and working towards developing a skill set to get it. I know personally, um, I I've never had a garden, so I've never I helped my mom garden when I was a kid, but I wanted to have, you know, I wanted to have my yard be a garden because I I always thought that looked cool. Whenever I'm on Facebook and I see grow yard girl grow food, not lawns. So I'm like, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to get some raised beds. I want to get some wood chips and I'm just going to have food everywhere. And now, and then my, you know, I want to have aquaponics going on in the backyard with, with raising some, um, tilapia because it turns out this restaurant restaurants will give you about 20 bucks a pound for, for tilapia and they'll inspect it and everything. So, I mean, there's a lot of great ways that you can use, that I could I could take this business and and just pay for my housing even if I if I have a part time business that pays for my housing that's that's a win win right there I mean people get food and I have that and I think there's it just goes back to people being more creative we talked about it a lot last time we were on monetizing your lifestyle and I think you know it's just taking the perspective of the way that you've been taught to look at things and and taking different lenses and looking at your life or looking at the the world with a different lens. 
Yeah, Drew, I totally agree. And that um, your two key words, you know, here were opportunity and creativity. And it goes right back to your other core uh, concept, which is incentivize ownership. You know, is that yeah. when you're when you're doing a garden or you're um, starting to sell your stuff or even trade it for other stuff, you're you're taking ownership of of a productive asset. You know, whether you're renting it from the city for ten bucks a, a year or borrowing the land or or whatever, you're you're taking some sort of asset and you're creatively producing new value. And and that's really the core of of um of what ownership of is, right? You're creating an uh, income and and productive good stuff through your labor. And I just want to say I, I, I'm totally admiring you for moving into a sketchy part of town and and um, having this goal. And and um that's that's very ambitious. I mean our garden is pretty small, but it is amazing how much food it puts out and um and how fun it is when when you know you put your work in and you start seeing stuff grow and then and um, you cut some of it off and start eating. You go, wow, this is great. And then you know that the quality is so much better than the corporate America crap you buy at the regular grocery store, yeah. you know, where the soils have been depleted, you know, generally. Absolutely. And another thing is, too, I, I just had this guy, uh, Jean-Martin Forti. He's a market gardener out of Quebec. And he, he generates, I mean, he, he generates about $140,000 in revenue from his two-and-a-half-acre plot uses all hand tools I just had him on super fascinating guy but what he was talking about was you know it's cool right now it's a cool thing to do people want heirloom vegetables people want like good vegetables I mean it's 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 a cool thing to do even if you don't sell it like if you can eliminate your grocery bill just from growing a garden why wouldn't you and and I think it's it's um you know I I just think it's exciting man I'm I'm excited Charles uh you know I, I I guess I don't have much to add besides I'm excited. I just want to get get digging. Uh, I want to get uh, get it get it rolling, and I want to make mistakes and learn from them and, and become a good market gardener. Yeah, and and what's so great about it is um, you can share. You know, like yeah. um, and speaking of your tilapia, like um, we we toured um, a, a guy that we know here in um, the uh, left coast <clears throat> Bay Area, San Francisco Bay Area. He's growing. Uh, tilapia or, or another kind of, uh, you know, well, uh, conventional kind of, uh, aquaculture fish in, um, 55 gallon plastic drums with a, with yeah. a little pump for, for oxygenating the air. And, you know, it's a very simple system, really small, you know, two 55 gallon drums is all you need to, to start growing your own fish. You know, it's pretty amazing. <laughs> yeah. And you can, I mean, it, the other cool thing is too, a lot of people have this negative connotation about fish farming, but it's just the way that they fish farm. It's just right. like if, if people thought that the only way to farm chickens was how they do it in Food Inc., then yeah, chickens would be a scary thing to farm, but it's really not that bad. I mean, the scary thing about farming chickens is everything wants to kill a chicken, so that's kind of that's kind of a stressful situation. But if you have the proper fences set up and everything and can keep coyotes and dogs away, then then you're in good shape. Um, but, uh, well, anyways, Charles, I think, I think we can wrap it up today. Um, I know, uh, you know, what I want everyone to do right now is go to of minds.com and subscribe to Charles's blog, read Charles's blog every day while you're at it, go to his book section, buy some of Charles's books. They're great books. Uh, if you go to, uh, Kindle unlimited, which I should really get to sponsor, um, 
my podcast. I don't I don't understand anything about sponsorship yet. Surprisingly, Charles, I haven't even looked into it. But uh, go to Kindle Unlimited if you have it. It's ten bucks a month. You can read some of Charles's books on there. So, but what I would do is buy Charles's books because Charles is he pr- he provides a lot of great ideas that are inspiring, and I think it's going to be good for you. So help Charles out. Buy his books. Um, you can even go on Kindle, and you still do the subscriptions to your blog, correct? Right. Subscribe to his blog. Help Charles out. Follow him on Twitter. He is at C.H. Smith. The I in Smith is a one. Follow Charles on Twitter. He always puts out great posts. And uh, and and that's pretty much it. What do you, Anything else you want to add, Charles? Well, thank you very much, Drew. And, and the blog is free. And there's um, thousands of articles there. If, if you don't want to spend any money, feel free. Just <laughs> read whatever you want. There's selections of the books and everything. But... I do appreciate, you know, readers who do buy a book. It, it's um, it's what I live on. So thank you very much for the pitch. And I just want to say I'm really looking forward to hearing more um, next month about about your projects because yeah. you're, you're you're not just talking about it; you're doing it. And and for that, you have my admiration. I'm trying to, Charles. It's uh, I feel like. I've become the slave to my own ambitions, but it's fun. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, thank you so much. Thank you, Charles. Thanks, and thanks, listeners, for listening. 